Story twelve of Christmas Stories by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story twelve The Haunted House. Part two. To return to our party, the first thing we did when we were all assembled was to draw lots for bedrooms. That done, and every bedroom, and indeed the whole house having been minutely examined by the whole body, we allotted the various household duties, as if we had been on a gypsy party, or a yachting party, or a hunting party, or were shipwrecked. I then recounted the floating rumours concerning the hooded lady, the owl, and Master B with others still more filmy which had floated about during our occupation relative to some ridiculous old ghost of the female gender who went up and down carrying the ghost of a round table and also to an impalpable jackass whom nobody was ever able to catch some of these ideas i really believe our people below had communicated to one another in some diseased way without conveying them in words we then gravely called one another to witness that we were not there to be deceived or to deceive which we considered pretty much the same thing and that with a serious sense of responsibility we would be strictly true to one another and would strictly follow out the truth the understanding was established that one who heard unusual noises in the night and who wished to trace them should knock at my door lastly that on twelfth night the last night of holy christmas all our individual experiences since that then present hour of our coming together in the haunted house should be brought to light for the good of all and that we would hold our peace on the subject till then unless on some remarkable provocation to break silence we were in number and in character as follows first to get my sister and myself out of the way there were we two in the drawing of lots my sister drew her own room and i drew master b's next there was our first cousin john herschel so called after the great astronomer than whom i suppose a better man at a telescope does not breathe with him was his wife a charming creature to whom he had been married in the previous spring i thought it under the circumstances rather imprudent to bring her because there is no knowing what even a false alarm may do at such a time but i suppose he knew his own business best and i must say that if she had been my wife i never would have left her endearing and bright face behind they drew the clock-room alfred starling an uncommonly agreeable young fellow of eight-and-twenty for whom i have the greatest liking was in the double room mine usually and designated by that name from having a dressing-room within it with two large and cumbersome windows which no wedges i was ever able to make would keep from shaking in any weather wind or no wind alfred is a young fellow who pretends to be fast another word for loose as i understand the term but who is much too good and sensible for that nonsense and who would have distinguished himself before now if his father had not unfortunately left him a small independence of two hundred a year on the strength of which his only occupation in life has been to spend six i am in hopes however that his banker may break or that he may enter into some speculation guaranteed to pay twenty per cent 
for i am convinced that if he could only be ruined his fortune is made belinda bates bosom friend of my sister and a most intellectual amiable and delightful girl got the picture-room she has a fine genius for poetry combined with real business earnestness and goes in to use an expression of alfred's for woman's mission woman's rights woman's wrongs and everything that is woman's with a capital w or is not and ought to be or is and ought not to be most praiseworthy my dear and heaven prosper you i whispered to her on the first night of my taking leave of her at the picture-room door but don't overdo it and in respect of the great necessity there is my darling for more employments being within the reach of woman than our civilization has as yet assigned to her don't fly at the unfortunate men even those men who are at first sight in your way as if they were the natural oppressors of your sex for trust me belinda they do sometimes spend their wages among wives and daughters sisters mothers aunts and grandmothers and the play is really not all wolf and red riding hood but has other parts in it however i digress belinda as i have mentioned occupied the picture-room we had but three other chambers the corner room the cupboard room and the garden room my old friend jack governor slung his hammock as he called it in the corner room i have always regarded jack as the finest looking sailor that ever sailed he is gray now but as handsome as he was a quarter of a century ago nay handsomer a portly cheery well-built figure of a broad-shouldered man with a frank smile a brilliant dark eye and a rich dark eyebrow i remember those under darker hair and they look all the better for their silver setting he has been wherever his union namesake flies has jack and i have met old shipmates of his away in the mediterranean and on the other side of the atlantic who have beamed and brightened at the casual mention of his name and have cried you know jack governor then you know a prince of men that he is and so unmistakably a naval officer that if you were to meet him coming out of an esquimaux snow-hut in sealskin you would be vaguely persuaded he was in full naval uniform jack once had that bright clear eye of his on my sister but it fell out that he married another lady and took her to south america where she died this was a dozen years ago or more he brought down with him to our haunted house a little cask of salt beef for he is always convinced that all salt beef not of his own pickling is mere carrion and invariably when he goes to london packs a piece in his portmanteau he had also volunteered to bring with him one nat beaver an old comrade of his captain of a merchantman mr beaver with a thick-set wooden face and figure and apparently as hard as a block all over proved to be an intelligent man with a world of watery experiences in him and a great practical knowledge at times there was a curious nervousness about him apparently the lingering result of some old illness but it seldom lasted many minutes he got the cupboard-room and lay there next to mr undery my friend and solicitor who came down in an amateur capacity to go through with it as he said and who plays whist better than the whole law list 
from the red cover at the beginning to the red cover at the end i never was happier in my life and i believe it was the universal feeling among us jack governor always a man of wonderful resources was chief cook and made some of the best dishes i ever ate including unapproachable curries my sister was pastry cook and confectioner starling and i were cook's mate turn and turn about and on special occasions the chief cook pressed mr beaver we had a great deal of outdoor sport and exercise but nothing was neglected within and there was no ill-humour or misunderstanding among us and our evenings were so delightful that we had at least one good reason for being reluctant to go to bed we had a few night alarms in the beginning on the first night i was knocked up by jack with a most wonderful ship's lantern in his hand like the gills of some monster of the deep who informed me that he was going aloft to the main truck to have the weathercock down it was a stormy night and i remonstrated but jack called my attention to its making a sound like a cry of despair and said somebody would be hailing a ghost presently if it wasn't done so up to the top of the house where i could hardly stand for the wind we went accompanied by mr beaver and there jack lantern and all with mr beaver after him swarmed up to the top of a cupola some two dozen feet above the chimneys and stood upon nothing particular coolly knocking the weathercock off until they both got into such good spirits with the wind and the height that i thought they would never come down another night they turned out again and had a chimney cowl off another night they cut a sobbing and gulping water-pipe away another night they found out something else on several occasions they both in the coolest manner simultaneously dropped out of their respective bedroom windows hand over hand by their counterpanes to overhaul something mysterious in the garden the engagement among us was faithfully kept and nobody revealed anything all we knew was if any one's room were haunted no one looked the worse for it the ghost in master b s room when i established myself in the triangular garret which had gained so distinguished a reputation my thoughts naturally turned to master b my speculations about him were uneasy and manifold whether his christian name was benjamin bisextil from his having been born in leap year bartholomew or bill whether the initial letter belonged to his family name and that was baxter black brown barker buggins baker or bird whether he was a foundling and had been baptized b whether he was a lion-hearted boy and b was short for britain or for bull whether he could possibly have been kith and kin to an illustrious lady who brightened my own childhood and had come of the blood of the brilliant mother bunch with these profitless meditations i tormented myself much i also carried the mysterious letter into the appearance and pursuits of the deceased wondering whether he dressed in blue wore boots he couldn't have been bald was a boy of brains liked books was good at bowling had any skill as a boxer even in his buoyant boyhood bathed from a bathing machine at bognor bangor burnemouth brighton or broadstairs like a bounding billiard ball 
so from the first I was haunted by the letter B. It was not long before I remarked that I never by any hazard had a dream of Master B, or of anything belonging to him. But the instant I awoke from sleep, at whatever hour of the night, my thoughts took him up, and roamed away, trying to attach his initial letter to something that would fit it and keep it quiet. For six nights I had been worried, thus, in Master B.'s room, when I began to perceive that things were going wrong. The first appearance that presented itself was early in the morning, when it was but just daylight and no more. I was standing, shaving, at my glass, when I suddenly discovered, to my consternation and amazement, that I was shaving not myself, I am fifty, but a boy, apparently Master B. I trembled and looked over my shoulder. Nothing there. I looked again in the glass and distinctly saw the features and expression of a boy who was shaving, not to get rid of a beard, but to get one. Extremely troubled in my mind, I took a few turns in the room and went back to the looking-glass, resolved to steady my hand and complete the operation in which I had been disturbed. Opening my eyes, which I had shut while recovering my firmness, I now met in the glass, looking straight at me, the eyes of a young man of four or five and twenty. Terrified by this new ghost, I closed my eyes and made a strong effort to recover myself. Opening them again, I saw, shaving his cheek in the glass, my father, who has been long dead. Nay, I even saw my grandfather, too, whom I never did see in my life. Although naturally much affected by these remarkable visitations, I determined to keep my secret until the time agreed upon for the present general disclosure. Agitated by a multitude of curious thoughts, I retired to my room that night, prepared to encounter some new experience of a spectral character. Nor was my preparation needless, for, waking from an uneasy sleep at exactly two o'clock in the morning, what were my feelings to find that I was sharing my bed with the skeleton of Master B? I sprang up, and the skeleton sprang up also. I then heard a plaintive voice saying, "'Where am I? What is become of me?' and looking hard in that direction, perceived the ghost of Master B. The young spectre was dressed in an obsolete fashion, or rather was not so much dressed as put into a case of inferior pepper-and-salt cloth, made horrible by means of shining buttons. I observed that these buttons went in a double row over each shoulder of the young ghost, and appeared to descend his back. He wore a frill round his neck. His right hand, which I distinctly noticed to be inky, was laid upon his stomach. Connecting this action with some feeble pimples on his countenance, and his general air of nausea, I concluded this ghost to be the ghost of a boy who had habitually taken a great deal too much medicine. "'Where am I?' said the little spectre in a pathetic voice and why was i born in the calomel days and why did i have all that calomel given me i replied with sincere earnestness that upon my soul i couldn't tell him where is my little sister said the ghost and where my angelic little wife and where is the boy i went to school with i entreated the phantom to be comforted and above all things to take heart respecting the loss of the boy he went to school with 
i represented to him that probably that boy never did within human experience come out well when discovered i urged that i myself had in later life turned up several boys whom i went to school with and none of them had at all answered i expressed my humble belief that that boy never did answer i represented that he was a mythic character a delusion and a snare i recounted how the last time i found him i found him at a dinner-party behind a wall of white cravat with an inconclusive opinion on every possible subject and a power of silent boredom absolutely titanic i related how on the strength of our having been together at old doylance's he had asked himself to breakfast with me a social offence of the largest magnitude how fanning my weak embers of belief in doylance's boys i had let him in and how he had proved to be a fearful wanderer about the earth pursuing the race of adam with inexplicable notions concerning the currency and with a proposition that the bank of england should on pain of being abolished instantly strike off and circulate god knows how many thousand millions of ten and sixpenny notes the ghost heard me in silence and with a fixed stare barber it apostrophized me when i had finished barber i repeated for i am not of that profession condemned said the ghost to shave a constant change of customers now me now a young man now thyself as thou art now thy father now thy grandfather condemned too to lie down with a skeleton every night and to rise with it every morning i shuddered on hearing this dismal announcement barber pursue me i had felt even before the words were uttered that i was under a spell to pursue the phantom i immediately did so and was in master b s room no longer most people know what long and fatiguing night journeys had been forced upon the witches who used to confess and who no doubt told the exact truth particularly as they were always assisted with leading questions and the torture was always ready i asseverate that during my occupation of master b s room i was taken by the ghost that haunted it on expeditions fully as long and wild as any of those assuredly i was presented to no shabby old man with a goat's horns and tail something between pan and an old clothesman holding conventional receptions as stupid as those of real life and less decent but i came upon other things which appeared to me to have more meaning confident that i speak the truth and shall be believed i declare without hesitation that i followed the ghost in the first instance on a broomstick and afterwards on a rocking-horse the very smell of the animal's paint especially when i brought it out by making him warm i am ready to swear to i followed the ghost afterwards in a hackney coach an institution with the peculiar smell of which the present generation is unacquainted but to which i am again ready to swear as a combination of stable dog with a mange and very old bellows in this i appeal to previous generations to confirm or refute me i pursued the phantom on a headless donkey at least upon a donkey who was so interested in the state of his stomach that his head was always down there investigating it 
on ponies expressly born to kick up behind on roundabouts and swings from fairs in the first cab another forgotten institution where the fare regularly got into bed and was tucked up with the driver not to trouble you with a detailed account of all my travels in pursuit of the ghost of master b which were longer and more wonderful than those of sinbad the sailor i will confine myself to one experience from which you may judge of many i was marvellously changed i was myself and yet not myself i was conscious of something within me which has been the same all through my life and which i have always recognized under all its phases and varieties as never altering and yet i was not the i who had gone to bed in master b's room i had the smoothest of faces and the shortest of legs and i had taken another creature like myself also with the smoothest of faces and the shortest of legs behind a door and was confiding to him a proposition of the most astounding nature this proposition was that we should have a seraglio the other creature assented warmly he had no notion of respectability neither had i it was the custom of the east it was the way of the good caliph harun arashid let me have the corrupted name again for once it is so scented with sweet memories the usage was highly laudable and most worthy of imitation oh yes let us said the other creature with a jump have a seraglio it was not because we entertained the faintest doubts of the meritorious character of the oriental establishment we proposed to import that we perceived it must be kept a secret from miss griffin it was because we knew miss griffin to be bereft of human sympathies and incapable of appreciating the greatest of the great haroon mystery impenetrably shrouded from miss griffin then let us entrust it to miss buell we were ten in miss griffin's establishment by hampstead ponds eight ladies and two gentlemen miss buell whom i judged to have attained the ripe age of eight or nine took the lead in society i opened the subject to her in the course of the day and proposed that she should become the favourite miss buell having struggled with the diffidence so natural to and charming in her adorable sex expressed herself as flattered by the idea but wished to know how it was proposed to provide for miss pipson miss buell who was understood to have vowed towards that young lady a friendship halves and no secrets until death on the church service and lessons complete in two volumes with case and lock miss buell said she could not as the friend of pipson disguised from herself or me that pipson was not of the common now miss pipson having curly light hair and blue eyes which was my idea of anything mortal and feminine that was called fair i promptly replied that i regarded miss pipson in the light of a fair circassian and what then miss buell pensively asked i replied that she must be inveigled by a merchant brought to me veiled and purchased as a slave the other creature had already fallen into the second male place in the state and was set apart for grand vizier he afterwards resisted this disposal of events but had his hair pulled until he yielded shall i not be jealous miss buell inquired casting down her eyes 
zobadai no i replied you will ever be the favourite sultana the first place in my heart and on my throne will be ever yours miss buell upon that assurance consented to propound the idea to her seven beautiful companions it occurred to me in the course of the same day that we knew we could trust a grinning and good-natured soul called tabby who was the serving drudge of the house and had no more figure than one of the beds and upon whose face there was always more or less black lead i slipped into miss buell's hand after supper a little note to that effect dwelling on the black lead as being in a manner deposited by the finger of providence pointing tabby out for mesrour the celebrated chief of the blacks of the harem there were difficulties in the formation of the desired institution as there are in all combinations the other creature showed himself of a low character and when defeated in aspiring to the throne pretended to have conscientious scruples about prostrating himself before the caliph wouldn't call him commander of the faithful spoke of him slightingly and inconsistently as a mere chap said he the other creature wouldn't play play and was otherwise coarse and offensive this meanness of disposition was however put down by the general indignation of an united seraglio and i became blessed in the smiles of eight of the fairest of the daughters of men the smiles could only be bestowed when miss griffin was looking another way and only then in a very wary manner for there was a legend among the followers of the prophet that she saw with a little round ornament in the middle of the pattern on the back of her shawl but every day after dinner for an hour we were all together and then the favourite and the rest of the royal harem competed who should most beguile the leisure of the serene harem reposing from the cares of state which were generally as in most affairs of state of an arithmetical character the commander of the faithful being a fearful boggler at a sum on these occasions the devoted mesrour chief of the blacks of the harem was always in attendance miss griffin usually ringing for that officer at the same time with great vehemence but never acquitted himself in a manner worthy of his historical reputation in the first place his bringing a broom into the divan of the caliph even when harun wore on his shoulders the red robe of anger miss pipson's pelisse though it might be got over for the moment was never to be quite satisfactorily accounted for in the second place his breaking out into grinning exclamations of lork you pretties was neither eastern nor respectful in the third place when specially instructed to say bismullah he always said hallelujah this officer unlike his class was too good-humoured altogether kept his mouth open far too wide expressed approbation to an incongruous extent and even once it was on the occasion of the purchase of the fair circassian for five hundred thousand purses of gold and cheap too embraced the slave the favourite and the caliph all round parenthetically let me say god bless mesrour and may there have been sons and daughters on that tender bosom softening many a hard day since 
miss griffin was a model of propriety and i am at a loss to imagine what the feelings of the virtuous woman would have been if she had known when she paraded us down the hampstead road two and two that she was walking with a stately step at the head of polygamy and mohammedanism i believe that a mysterious and terrible joy with which the contemplation of miss griffin in this unconscious state inspired us and a grim sense prevalent among us that there was a dreadful power in our knowledge of what miss griffin who knew all things that could be learnt out of book didn't know were the mainspring of the preservation of our secret it was wonderfully kept but was once upon the verge of self-betrayal the danger and escape occurred upon a sunday we were all ten ranged in a conspicuous part of the gallery at church with miss griffin at our head as we were every sunday advertising the establishment in an unsecular sort of way when the description of solomon in his domestic glory happened to be read the moment that monarch was thus referred to conscience whispered me thou too haroun the officiating minister had a cast in his eye and it assisted conscience by giving him the appearance of reading personally at me a crimson blush attended by a fearful perspiration suffused my features the grand vizier became more dead than alive and the whole seraglio reddened as if the sunset of baghdad shone direct upon their lovely faces at this portentous time the awful griffin rose and balefully surveyed the children of islam my own impression was that church and state had entered into a conspiracy with miss griffin to expose us and that we should all be put into white sheets and exhibited in the centre aisle but so westerly if i may be allowed the expression as opposite to eastern associations was miss griffin's sense of rectitude that she merely suspected apples and we were saved i have called the seraglio united upon the question solely whether the commander of the faithful durst exercise a right of kissing in that sanctuary of the palace were its peerless inmates divided Zobaidi asserted a counter-right in the favourite to scratch, and the fair Circassian put her face for refuge into a green baize bag, originally designed for books. On the other hand, a young antelope of transcendent beauty from the fruitful plains of Camden Town, whence she had been brought by traders in the half-yearly caravan that crossed the intermediate desert after the holidays held more liberal opinions but stipulated for limiting the benefit of them to that dog and the son of a dog the grand vizier who had no rights and was not in question at length the difficulty was compromised by the installation of a very youthful slave as deputy she raised upon a stool officially received upon her cheeks the salutes intended by the gracious Arun for other sultanas and was privately rewarded from the coffers of the ladies of the harem and now it was at the full height of enjoyment of my bliss that i became heavily troubled i began to think of my mother and what she would say to my taking home at midsummer eight of the most beautiful of the daughters of men but all unexpected 
I thought of the number of beds we made up at our house, of my father's income, and of the baker, and my despondency redoubled. The seraglio and malicious vizier, divining the cause of their lord's unhappiness, did their utmost to augment it. They professed unbounded fidelity, and declared that they would live and die with him. Reduced to the utmost wretchedness by these protestations of attachment, I lay awake for hours at a time, ruminating on my frightful lot. In my despair I think I might have taken an early opportunity of falling on my knees before Miss Griffin, avowing my resemblance to Solomon, and praying to be dealt with according to the outraged laws of my country, if an unthought-of means of escape had not opened before me one day we were out walking two and two on which occasion the vizier had his usual instructions to take note of the boy at the turnpike and if he profanely gazed which he always did at the beauties of the harem to have him bow-strung in the course of the night and it happened that our hearts were veiled in gloom an unaccountable action on the part of the antelope had plunged the state into disgrace that charmer on the representation that the previous day was her birthday and that vast treasures had been sent in a hamper for its celebration both baseless assertions had secretly but most pressingly invited thirty-five neighbouring princes and princesses to a ball and supper with a special stipulation that they were not to be fetched till twelve this wandering of the antelope's fancy led to the surprising arrival at miss griffin's door in diverse equipage and under various escorts of a great company in full dress who were deposited on the top step in a flush of high expectancy and who were dismissed in tears at the beginning of the double knocks attendant on these ceremonies the antelope had retired to a back attic and bolted herself in and at every new arrival miss griffin had gone so much more and more distracted that at last she had been seen to tear her front ultimate capitulation on the part of the offender had been followed by solitude in the linen closet bread and water and a lecture to all of vindictive length in which miss griffin had used expressions firstly i believe you all of you knew of it secondly every one of you is as wicked as another thirdly a pack of little wretches under these circumstances we were walking drearily along and i especially with my mussulman responsibilities heavy on me was in a very low state of mind when a strange man accosted miss griffin and after walking on at her side for a little while and talking with her looked at me supposing him to be a minion of the law and that my hour was come i instantly ran away with the general purpose of making for egypt the whole seraglio cried out when they saw me making off as fast as my legs could carry me i had an impression that the first turning on the left and round by the public-house would be the shortest way to the pyramids miss griffin screamed after me the faithless vizier ran after me and the boy at the turnpike dodged me into a corner like a sheep and cut me off nobody scolded me when i was taken and brought back miss griffin only said with a stunning gentleness this was very curious 
why had i run away when the gentleman looked at me if i had had any breath to answer with i dare say i should have made no answer having no breath i certainly made none miss griffin and the strange man took me between them and walked me back to the palace in a sort of state but not at all as i couldn't help feeling with astonishment in culprit state when we got there we went into a room by ourselves and miss griffin called in to her assistance mesrour chief of the dusky guards of the harem mesrour on being whispered to began to shed tears bless you my precious said that officer turning to me your paws took bitter bad i asked with a fluttered heart is he very ill lord temper the wind to you my lamb said the good mesrour kneeling down that i might have a comforting shoulder for my head to rest on your paws dead harun al-rashid took to flight at the words the seraglio vanished from that moment i never again saw one of the eight of the fairest of the daughters of men i was taken home and there was debt at home as well as death and we had a sale there my own little bed was so superciliously looked upon by a power unknown to me hazily called the trade that a brass coal-scuttle a roasting-jack and a bird-cage were obliged to be put into it to make a lot of it and then it went for a song so i heard mentioned and i wondered what song and thought what a dismal song it must have been to sing then i was sent to a great cold bare school of big boys where everything to eat and wear was thick and clumpy without being enough where everybody large and small was cruel where the boys knew all about the sale before i got there and asked me what i had fetched and who had bought me and who did at me going going gone i never whispered in that wretched place that i had been haroon or had had a seraglio for i knew that if i mentioned my reverses i should be so worried that i should have to drown myself in the muddy pond near the playground which looked like the beer ah me ah me no other ghost has haunted the boy's room my friends since i have occupied it than the ghost of my own childhood the ghost of my own innocence the ghost of my own airy belief many a time have i pursued the phantom never with this man's stride of mine to come up with it never with these man's hands of mine to touch it never more to this man's heart of mine to hold it in its purity and here you see me working out as cheerfully and thankfully as i may my doom of shaving in the glass a constant change of customers and of lying down and rising up with the skeleton allotted to me for my mortal companion end of story twelve part two